So you said you're going to take heroin when you're 70? Yeah, yeah. I feel, uh, uh, you know, I'm in the... Are you taping it right now? Yes, yes, we are <laughs> recording. <laughs> well, you know, I say that facetiously, but, you know, I am 61 now. and Okay, yeah, so I, nine years could, you know, change a lot. Yeah, I look around and I look at people and, uh, you know, I see these people, you know, that are around 70 and they started, you know, looking really silly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Like who? Oh, just anybody that's 70. They just look like a... Like like a caricature of themselves, their former selves, you know. Some mm-hmm. are in, some are even uh, like Caitlyn Jenner. Exactly. So anyhow, <laughs> I, I always kid uh, with my girlfriend that uh, half kiddingly, I'm thinking about just getting back to all my good vices uh, when I turn seventy. Just kind of take myself out, you know. Well, I feel like uh, you know you could probably do oxycotton. That's like a close cousin of heroin. Yeah. And you could you know at seventy probably get it you know pretty easily, right? Well, I, I want to, uh, you know, actually, uh, you wanna I want to get the rubber up. strap and, wow. you know, go into a dank, dark corner somewhere. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I, I, and I shoot I, up. Yeah, I wouldn't do it, but. Uh, and do it in between your toes and. All of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, my, my mom, she used to work in the ER and she would always, you know, kind of from time to time deal with people that, you know, came in that OD'd and she would always like try to find the, you know, the track marks. Yeah. And. Some of the places that she would tell me were clearly like, wow, you shoot like heroin there? Nuts. Besides in between the toes and stuff were some of the places you heard other than... Uh, clearly the like their dick. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Or their eyes. Oh. They would shoot it in their eyeball. Oh, and what was yeah. the reasoning behind that? Not to be detected at work or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff? And I guess certain body parts would, you know, receive the drug quicker or faster or yeah, yeah. more stronger or whatever. I don't know. The eyeball would be... Uh, yeah, that was nuts. The, it would, would be the uh, fast track to the brain, I would think. You're on a different level if you're putting needles in your eye mm-hmm. to get high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I would always hear uh, during my drug days uh, when I would be uh, at the raves, as the kids call them, I would hear of the tale of people would they would take ecstasy. You've heard of ecstasy, right? Yeah, you know, I don't think I've ever taken <laughs> ecstasy. Is is that is that what they call Molly? Is that what Molly yes. is? Well, there's different forms. I guess ecstasy was kind of more of the street version, and now Molly's more of the like pharmaceutical grade one, where it's you know made in actual you know lab. Yeah, when, when not we, in a bathtub. When we grow, when I grew up, you know, again, like I'm 61, you know, it would be pot, and then we had what they called crank. It was kind of a a methamphetamine, you know. It was like speed. Like speed. It was just horrible, you know. Mm-hmm. You would snort it. Well, yeah. And then your pecker would be about one centimeter in length mm-hmm. after that, you know, for about a day. That's what, uh, well, that's what I would say ecstasy is kind of cut with, is it's kind of molly mixed with speed. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. But I always thought, like, people The dosage were... is always, you know, different, but... But aren't people, like, hugging and, and they get yes. all, uh... That's know... the MDMA, for sure. Okay, so that's, that's the big uh, mm-hmm. high that everybody talks about. Yeah, it makes you basically feel like you're a kid again nothing wrong with that and there's no judgment you know there's a whole barrier that just goes away you're no longer thinking is this wrong should i feel this way is this <laughs> stupid so you don't really even filter your emotions when no you're it, huh? they actually use this drug for therapeutic reasons it's supposed to be for like therapy uh-huh. and you know ptsd and stuff like that oh very good so it's supposed to make you know break down walls uh-huh. And it does, but I'm not saying it's some, you know, miracle drug. Right. Or that you can't control what you're doing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but um, what I would hear people do is that taking it 
in you know orally wasn't good enough. What they had to do was have a pill go orally, but then also stick a pill up their butt. Oh, really? And it would be called train wrecking. Oh, I've never even Where heard you would of have, you know, two pills meet in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and I've never did it, but I would always hear about, you know, party goers doing it. And I'm like, well, you know, to each his own, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, another thing, raves, is that what you call it? A rave? Right. I don't know if they call them raves anymore, but that's what they called them back when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't around when I was growing up. We, we would have big, uh, you know, keggers. We'd right, have kegs right. of beer, big parties yes. outside, and I guess that would be... More like frat party things? Yeah, big bonfires, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was that was the big thing. I grew up in Minnesota, you know, we had... Oh, you know, how was that? It was great. It was great. Uh, you know, I was, I'm from Rochester, Minnesota, and it's kind of in the southeastern corner of Minnesota, very close to Wisconsin. You can kind of hear the accent yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's a little bit of Fargo in me. You, you ever <laughs> seen the movie Fargo? Hell yeah. Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. With Francis Smith Dormant? Right, and... uh uh, you know, that was uh, kind of loosely based on the Cohen brothers' experiences. They grew up in St. Louis Park, which is a Jewish suburb of Minneapolis. So they actually grew up in Minnesota and heard all those crazy uh, accents. My grandma grew up in Minnesota. She yeah. was from Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all those uh, characters, you, you know, that you see in here in Fargo, uh, you would think it was a little over the top, some yeah. of their, uh, but it really wasn't. I actually had mm-hmm. met every People. one of those characters wow. at some time at some place in minnesota they really do talk like that and uh <laughs> it's uh do you and, feel like you had a, a stronger accent when you lived there and now it's kind of faded away or well actually i have this conversation a lot with uh, other midwesterners i think definitely minnesota has an accent but i think people from wisconsin talk even goofier and then you have canadians up in ontario mm-hmm. who, who talk even more fargo-esque if you exactly. can believe it and the dakotas too so yeah. minnesota gets this this uh and why do you think that is why do you feel like it's just that area i i really don't know why it, but it really is and and was i think wisconsin's the worst for mm-hmm. for accents for just that goofy uh fargo <laughs> accent characters right. that they had in the movie i mean oh, you, don't you know there uh, man i really have i have met all those people but it was a great place to grow up and we're about 40 miles from uh, i feel like the accent also breeds the minutia it works only really well when you're talking about nothing well, that's probably that's probably where it does come out, yeah. But you can detect a little uh, Fargo, a little bit, a little in bit. You. yeah. Especially with certain words when you say Wisconsin, Wisconsin. I'm talented. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a talent. <laughs>
welcome to This Comics Life. This is me, your host, D. Williams, a.k.a. Daryl Williams, a.k.a. Dumbass, a.k.a. Dude That's Hanging Out with Another Great Open Mic Comedian, slash, well, I shouldn't even say open mic. I should say cruise comic, oh. uh, feature act, just a formerly comedian, road comic extraordinaire, and a great guy, Patrick Booker. Oh, you got my name right, Daryl. Yes. Kudos to you. Well, I asked how you said it off air, so... Uh, I should have gotten it right, right? Yeah, we rehearsed it for about ten minutes. <laughs> it's, okay, okay. Tell me how how I say it. Booker. Right? <laughs> okay, so uh, wh- a lot of people obviously yeah say it wrong when they bring you on stage, and that doesn't annoy you. No, because it's been lifelong, you know, from grade school. People, you know, I mean, you know, what's the worst that they've like mispronounced it? It's always butcher, you know. Yeah, butcher. There's no mm-hmm. T in there, you know, but they mm-hmm. they do butcher, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, I'd say maybe two percent get it correct. Sometimes people get it right. It's just like, what about Booker? That? Huh? Booker? Booker would be close enough. Mm-hmm. Book, Booker. It actually means uh, it's book, and in, 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 it's actually Swiss, but it's common in Germany as well. It means book. Right. Right. Okay. Well, the upper uh, northeast, you know, kind of that that Midwest. Is that Midwest? I don't know. Oh, uh, the Midwest. Yeah, they got a lot of Germans. Minnesota, and, Wisconsin. And, yeah, that, yeah, a lot of. Uh, I don't know if that was considered Midwest. Yeah, well, that that is Midwest. What mm-hmm. I don't consider Midwest is Ohio and stuff. I mean, yeah. that's like east east to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. But Midwest, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, you know. Yeah. Iowa. I'd always want to go there. That sounds like good country. Like like when I think of uh you know, America, it's usually like guys that are from that area. It's flyover country. Mhm. Yeah, but it is. It's really uh, Midwest people are the uh you know, they're really they're really good people. They are. Well, back in the day, it was all like where the like big manufacturing was. Yeah, obviously in Michigan, with all the uh, automotive stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Rochester. Have you ever heard of the Mayo Clinic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I, I grew up in a really uh, uh, professional, uh, you know, community. I mean, they had the Mayo Clinic, which employed it now it employs way more. But when I was growing up, it was like fifty thousand people there. They had the Mayo Clinic, employed eight thousand people when I was growing up, and they had an IBM, a big IBM mm-hmm. factory there. Uh, that employed at that time about eight thousand, but now now IBM is kind of on hard times. Yeah, they're not really around. I mean, they make processors. Yeah, they, they went from eight to they got like maybe a thousand left at this plant. You know, mm-hmm, and the rest are, mm-hmm. are contractors. But the clinic, the Mayo Clinic, is is employs like thirty thousand people now. Sure, you sure. Know? Yeah, so yeah, well, healthcare is not going away. <laughs> no, no. So it's a big medical town, and I feel like uh, I was always as a kid thinking like. Is the Mayo Clinic where they make like best foods and all this like different? Is that where Miracle Wick was made? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So that's that. Yeah, everything is called Mayo there too. I fucking hate Miracle Whip. I hate mayonnaise, man. Really? Do you like mayonnaise? I like it. I what? mean, yeah, oh, it's just, all right. Oh, I can't handle it, man. I just. I mean, I don't need it on everything, but I definitely enjoy it on certain things. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're gonna make it like you know with tuna, tuna you gotta have it. Or that's, like you know egg salad. Egg salad you gotta have it in there a little bit too. But uh, got on a sandwich, I just I just oh, I can't I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Hmm. Is it just yeah early childhood trauma? Oh, it is. I know what you, it is. You had like a tub of mayonnaise dumped on. No, you or this something? is what happened. My, my my dad, who was out of the picture, I think I said earlier around when I was five or six, because of mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> Manny's gate. He uh, he he was like a, a savant. He he grew up on a farm, and he, he ended up being a draftsman for the city of Rochester. But oh, that's cool. his passion was he grew up on a farm, so he had he, he liked to raise cattle. Mm-hmm. He bought and sold cattle, so he had this little twelve acre uh, 
little little ranch out, outside, you know, uh, that that he do on the side. And then he morphed into it full time after you know he just quit his job and just was. How full-time. many people or how many cows would he raise at a time? T- tops, maybe maybe uh, you know he might have up to twenty head. Mm-hmm. But the deal is, sometimes he would do dairy. And I remember cool. being a kid. This is why I don't like mayonnaise. This is exactly <laughs> why they would do unpasteurized milk. They would they would milk oh, the cows, right. and then they would they would pour the milk through a cloth to to filter it, and there'd be coagulated coagulated chunks of of, right. of cream. The curds, yeah, the curds that just grossed me out. Plus, the milk was warm, which mm-hmm. was really weird. But that's not mayonnaise at all, though. But anything, anything, sour cream, cottage cheese, a lot of dairy shit. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm affected from that. Uh, that is but trauma. Isn't mayonnaise like whipped eggs? It, it's probably okay, but just any white dairy of anything mm. that I, even if I think it is dairy, or mm-hmm. even in that family, I just right. go back to that childhood. We're looking at those chunks of of what you call it, curd, curds, yeah, curds. It just grossed me out. And the man. liquid is the way. Curds there you and go. whey. Curds and whey. You're yeah. absolutely right. We pour they pour it through a cloth, a fine mm-hmm. cloth, and the yeah. oh, Jesus. The, the cheese cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, guess I, I made cheese for a little bit. Oh, did you? <coughs> yeah, I got it as a gift for uh, Christmas. My ex and I, we uh, made mozzarella and ricotta. It's very cool. And how do you do it? Is it just um, it's really mayonnaise easy. that sits for a couple of years? <laughs> yes, that's what it is. <laughs> it's just aged mayonnaise. <laughs> that's what most cheese is. Yes. No, but what you really do is you just uh, cook some up. You just heat up some milk, really, with this uh, um, protein that's uh, called rennet, R-E-N-N-E-T, and it just coagulates the uh, the milk, so it turns the curds into curds, and then you just, yeah, basically sift it, and then you just collect all the curds, and you kind of... That pack. cottage cheese kind of vibe mm-hmm. shit. And then you pine, you know, you mix it and you like knead it and you make it into like, you know, one big cohesive, you know, ball. Uh-huh. And then you let the ball like sit and rest. For how long? Depending on what type of cheese you want to make. Mozzarella. Yeah, it's like a day. Not well, is even. that it? Yeah, a couple hours. Yeah. Um, it, that's why uh, I think uh, we made mozzarella to begin with is because it is very quick. You know, the whole process from beginning to end where... You know, from when we started to when you could eat it was probably eight to twelve hours. Jesus, I thought it was like uh, months, years that they did yeah. that shit. Certain parmesans and certain like hard cheeses, like those types, uh, will age for for a long time. Uh huh. But the softer cheeses, like the breeze and the cheese that you know you can kind of um, melt really yeah. easily, uh, those don't take long at all. Okay, then once you've uh, seen what's behind the curtains with cheese making, do you like cheese anymore? I do. You do? I like mozzarella a lot. Sometimes when you see what's behind the curtains, you, you no longer care <laughs> for it. You know what I mean? You, you, you see how... Yeah, you see the sausage being made. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, going to, uh, as a kid, I went to a uh, a hot dog factory. Oh, Jesus. Don't even tell me anything about it. Yeah. Oh, I don't... Where? Oh, no. no. It was the Hormel factory. It was like, wow, in, in, in L.A. somewhere. Well, I don't know. see, I grew up in Rochester. 40 yeah. miles away was Austin, Minnesota, where the mm-hmm. Hormel headquarters is. Yeah. And so we had rivalries in high school playing Austin, which is yeah. all blue-collar workers. Yeah. And then they would play Rochester, who were all kids of doctors or medical people mm-hmm. or IBM, mm-hmm. you know, so there was this real rivalry. But, yeah, they had a huge... Uh, factory there yeah, which yeah, is yeah. and getting back to that sam simon thing mm-hmm. you know who he donated all of his millions to uh animal rights causes i watched his his documentary yeah and I, you know i used to be a big meat eater and it kind of tapered off but he had some horrifying footage of course that just kind of i just i can't eat 
pork anymore. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? It just, it's it just, sad. But it is weird how, like, it is one of those, like, you know, things that people don't want to really think about. Yeah. But it is, like, you know, mass food production. There is a, uh, a weird sterilization of it where you can't have it be this process where, oh, we're just going to kill it humanely and have it like be blessed and you know take it out like you know the native americans <laughs> yeah but even then like okay the native americans they still killed animals and whatnot and yeah they made it maybe did it humanely but and, and use the whole animal but yeah still. it's just me there's always been meat eaters there always will be you know like like i like so you don't miss it you don't miss meat at all i, I still eat turkey i'll still eat chicken I just had a hamburger the other day. Sometimes mm. I jones for it, so I'm not okay. anywhere close to being a vegan. I could be a, a pescatarian very easily. I like yeah. seafood, and I could just do seafood and stuff. Seafood's good. And I'm not against anybody that eats meat. Just personally, I got kind of turned off by uh, beef and pork. and right. uh, Just right. out of uh, kind of animal rights kind of a thing, you know? Mm. And that's not, you know, I'm not trying to be... So is there out. like a humane way to, to kill them, or no, you just don't want them killed? I got this weird theory of, uh, you know, like like a pig is smart, like a dog, so, you know, I, oh, I, so they're, I don't yeah, like that. But that then level. I think a cow, you know, it's got like a pea brain, that's okay. So I'll eat seafood, and they got, you know, they're living people too. Right. And that, but then I think, Jesus, you know, you're doing them a favor, you know, who wants to be a, a fish, you know? <laughs> yeah, how conscious are they? I mean, they are obviously living, but are they, you know, what's the quality of life that's of That's exactly a, of a what I was going to say, Daryl. I, I think of the, the animal's quality of, of life. Hmm. I think a pig's okay because he's smart, right? You know, and has feelings, maybe not like so much pain and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's smarter than your your your, your dog, you know, for totally. the most part. So that when I have a problem because he's a very smart animal. Would you have a pig for a pet? I would if I if I had uh, uh, land. If, if I had land and money and time, I would just let. <laughs> I'm a big uh, dog and yeah. cat. Yeah, you know, and animals. I would let. I would be. You just want. Tons of, you want a whole I would. farm? That would be very cool. Yeah. I would definitely dig that, yeah. Where would you have this farm? Uh, where Michael Jackson's was. <laughs> At Neverland? <laughs> yeah, you'd, Neverland. You'd take over Neverland? I'd take over Neverland. And, and have your own menagerie of animals. Yeah, yeah. But I'd have girls sleep over. Mm, yeah, like real like adult women. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. I would be into that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and they would all have uh, consensual... Uh, Affidavit signed and everything. That's right. Everything signed. Mm -hmm. And in triple and uh, notarized. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Made you want to start doing stand-up comedy? You know what, uh, Daryl? I was like one of these guys that was, uh, you know, as a young kid, I used to watch Johnny Carson. I don't know how many mm -hmm. comics you've talked to that. I don't know if anybody's well, brought up Johnny. Really? Yeah, well, you're right. <laughs> Nobody knows Johnny, but I no. remember watching Johnny Carson, which was the show to watch. You know, that was it's before weird, King. wild stuff. Yeah. Weird, wild. And he would showcase a comic, and back then there wasn't many comics. Or like, right. Like uh, Robert, uh, God, I can't even think of his name. There's like. Steve Martin and mm -hmm. uh, Robert Schimmel. Not Robert Schimmel. What's the other Robert? Um, Robert Klein. Oh, okay. You know, yes. Robert Klein yes. and, and you know uh, Alan King and Don Rickles and stuff like that. But Larry Sanders. Yeah, or but Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling, and <laughs> yeah. then it kind of started right around then when some of the younger ones, like Gary mm -hmm. Shandling, got a Tonight Show, and I can remember when uh, who else was big back then? Gary Shandling and uh, Carlin, Carlin and Seinfeld and, mm -hmm. and all that, and. Uh, 
so yeah, I always uh, always like watching the comics. And then uh, another thing is my family was pretty funny. Right. You know, everybody was funny. And uh, were you I, considered the funny guy? Well, I was the middle child, so yeah, I think I acted up quite a bit because you know it was kind of like you read about—you get lost in the shuffle when mm-hmm. you're the middle child. But, mm-hmm. but I had, you know, everybody was pretty funny. My dad was kind of out of the picture, you know, and so we're from a broken home. I think that added to it, you know. I yes. didn't have a father, you know. Am that, I good enough for you, Dad? So yeah, I think that's part of it. <laughs> that does help uh, shape the comics idea of being one, I guess. Yeah, or just it's like part of the resume. Like, oh yeah, you're, you're you have a broken home. Check. Take that on the Catholic list. check check <laughs> yeah you know but I don't, I think that's uh, you know I, I like I don't try to overanalyze it I think I was just kind of funny but those mm-hmm. were probably contributing things broken home and right. attention seeking and all that but and I don't think you at least I haven't heard a lot of material of yours that talks about that yeah that's that's a that's a good point uh, Daryl I am kind of trying to work on maybe talking about my family a little bit more but. Uh, I just haven't gotten there yet. I'm kind yeah. of, you know, I've been back. You know, I've stopped and started. I've been doing it a long time. I started in uh, 1985 in Minneapolis. Wow. I was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. And I decided, hey, it was time to do some stand-up. In Minneapolis, St. Paul had a really good comedy scene up there. And yeah. it was really kind of happening comedy. You know, there's a lot of, there was a big comedy boom in the 80s. I kind of caught the end of it. I was a right. MC. There was like three full-time clubs in Minneapolis called the Comedy Gallery. And uh, I got a lot of MC work. Sweet. Yeah, and I'd be busy all the time because they had three full-time comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. And then another one opened up, which is called Acme, which is still there in Minneapolis. And that's a real good comedy club. Right, right. It's still around. But I remember getting paid 300 bucks a week as, a, as an MC. You know, wow. I, I just worked three three or four weeks a month, you know, yeah. for probably four four years up there. You know, I started that uh, sounds awesome. in 85, and I started getting paid probably in 87. And then I moved to California in 91. Mm-hmm. And then... You started just emceeing over here. Or? What I what I did was is is I, you know, I I did, got a lot of stage time in Minneapolis, and I got to where I was a uh, an MC mm-hmm. opener, mm-hmm. and then I kind of worked my way. I was mostly an opener up in Minneapolis, and I go on the you know they had little mini tours. You know, the guy that, yes. that had the three clubs had some one nighters in uh, North Dakota and you know throughout Minnesota. So that was uh, the kind of the start of the, some of the road gigs. You just go right. and do these little one nighters, you know, that might be a half a week or a weekend or whatever. That and, sounds pretty sweet, Sue. Yeah, and you know, I don't really want to name drop, but the first time I, I went on the road out of mm-hmm. Minneapolis, it was just you know to Western Minnesota. But Tom Arnold was the headliner. Sweet. Yeah, it was before he moved out to California, you know, with Roseanne and all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, another guy named Harmon Leon, who's actually doing quite well as. Himself, he's an author and uh, uh, kind of a, a gonzo journalist, doing real well. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah, but I digress. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> so you moved out here, and then you just started doing gigs out here as well? Or Yeah, that's that's what it was. I started when I was 28, mm-hmm. and, and, and I did six years in Minneapolis, and I, I was probably, you know, kind of a weak feature act, mm. but I felt press for time, because back then it was still, uh, you wanted to get TV if you were doing of course. stand-up comedy, and... I felt the pressure of my age. I was 35, and I just felt like, man, I have to get out to California. I don't think I had a really strong act, but I did move out there because I just felt it was time before I right. got any older. Right. So I moved out to California, and I lived in Hollywood. I, I uh, roomed with uh, another Minneapolis comedian for about four years. And went on the road a little bit, but I really tried to do the showcase uh, clubs up there. I used to go down on Monday nights and do uh, the comedy store. Mm-hmm. I showcased for Mitzi two or three times, you know. 
uh, I just try to get onto the showcase clubs, I, and then I would just go on the road just a little bit if I get some road work to you know, right. keep my chops up. But I didn't do open mics like we do now. You know, you go to these bars and all that. I just yeah. focus on trying to get into the improv, which I never did. Uh, uh, the comedy store, I never became a regular. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got on at uh, the Laugh Factory. It was just brutal to get stage time. Yes. It, as I look back, uh, I don't know what it's like now. But it was imperative that you had an agent or a manager back then. But, mm. you know, I didn't know any better back then. You just tried to call people up and get seen, you know. And it was, you're just one of hundreds trying to get on there. And, right. and most of the people that, you know, that I see getting on stage had management. Mm. It really was what the game was when I was there. You had to have management. And you never tried to speak to an agent or? I had two meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some a uh, couple of people I met with. Uh, I, I wrote a couple of uh, spec scripts. You know, for oh, yeah. TV. For what shows? I did a Roseanne. I did cool. a Coach. I don't know if you remember Coach yep. with Jerry Van Dyke. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, and uh, uh, Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson, very good. And uh, I and a Seinfeld. Mm. I had three of them. So one guy took an interest in it. And nothing ever came of it. And then I met with this other lady, and she was going to do something for me. She was. Uh, do you know who Margaret Smith is? I do not. Well, she was a funny comedian. I don't know if she's still out there doing it, but her her management, I worked with her somewhere, and her management liked me, and we had a coffee, but nothing ever came of it. And do you still have those scripts? I don't. I wish I did. Oh, you I, should. I uh, was yeah. going to say you should post them online just for shits. I, I wish I did. And, and and let me give you another story on this real yeah. quick, Daryl. When I lived in Hollywood, I, 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 uh, I roomed with a guy named Rob Brackenridge, and he's still doing comedy. He's back in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He's one of those crazy Wisconsin guys, but he's a good guy, and he was a real road comic. Yeah, and he was friends with this female comic. I can't, I don't, I can't remember her name, but she in turn was friends with a guy named uh, Terry Mulroy, who was a Cleveland comedian. Mm-hmm. And Terry and Rob befriended each other, so Rob got an apartment in Hollywood and called me. I was ready, I was thinking about moving to Chicago at the time. Actually, oh, okay. now that I think back, I was going to go to Chicago. That's and, a cool uh, second move for sure. Yeah, I was thinking about doing that, and then I got this call from Rob saying he had an apartment uh, uh, in Hollywood that you know, and so it just kind of fell in my lap. So that's kind of why I went to Hollywood at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And what's really crazy is, is is Terry Mulroy was was they were both friends with this female comedian who's married to. Uh, Bob Zaney. It's Bob Zaney's wife, whatever her name is. You know wow. who Bob Zaney is? I, I know he, who he is, but I don't know who his wife is. Yeah, well, he's been around forever. Whoever he married was a oh. friend of Rob and a friend of Terry Mulroy, but it gets better. Terry Mulroy's roommate was Drew Carey. Wow, cool. So Drew Carey lived above, I lived below Drew Carey for four years, and mm-hmm. it wasn't happenstance. It was because Rob knew Terry, who knew that this apartment was coming up, and that's how it all happened. And did you get to see his sex dungeon, or did you? I used to go up to, to Drew's, and, and, and that's why I was. Uh, getting back to the Drew story, because mm-hmm. I gave Drew one of these spec stri- scripts. Oh, wow. And at the time... Before he did the show? Or? No, no. Here's what happened with Drew. I remember uh, I remember when Drew had was in debt. Mm-hmm. Drew Carey was a good road comic. People knew of him. He was a real strong road yeah. comic. And, and he had heat. It wasn't like... Of course. But he was probably the last stand-up comic that did The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Mm. Just before he retired, that was a game changer. I mean, he, he killed on Carson. Yeah. He got called over to the couch. And he, he was probably one of the last bona fide comics that went on Carson and got like a, a sitcom yeah. from, from, from a television appearance. Yeah. And so they developed... I liked his show too. Yeah, yeah. They developed... He did some other kind of uh, ensemble show before the Drew Carey show, mm. and they saw that he had star power. Then he wrote uh, on a TV show, I can't remember, with, with uh, Sam Simon from uh, The Simpsons, oh, yeah, of course. who went on to produce the, Dar- the Drew Carey show yeah. and died of cancer. Yes, 
Uh, just recently, like yeah, two years ago, right? Yeah, that's why I don't eat meat anymore, man. He was uh, really. Did you see his documentary? I did not. He, he had he was, he was worth millions, you know, from just his short mm-hmm. time on The Simpsons. He started it. Yeah, he did a lot of shows. Yeah, he gave away millions on uh, uh, for animal rights. Mm. That was his big passion, you know, before he died. Right. And I saw a documentary on it, and I'm I'm kind of a. So he was saying that red meat was the cause of his cancer. Or? No, no, it was just a cause for him. He just he just really mm. cared for animals and tried to save animals and stuff. Well, like that's that. cool. Yeah. But uh, so anyhow, I gave these spec scripts to my neighbor Drew, Drew because Perry. he was at the time working as a television writer. So first, right. this television ensemble that was short lived for a year, wearing the glasses and everything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so that went a year and it got canceled. So then he went with I think Sam Simon was on that project. So he had Drew with him on another show where they were. So Drew wrote for TV, right? And so I gave him the script, and and I wasn't really tight with Drew. I would just run into him every so often. Mm-hmm. But my roommate Rob was really tight with his roommate Terry, and so Terry was down in our apartment like like Kramer was in Seinfeld. He was right. just there all the time, or smoking pot and laughing all the time. Right. I'd have to get up and go to work. You know, those guys were road comics, of course. So, but anyhow, so it wasn't like I hung out with Drew a lot. But then about like five months after I gave him the spec script, he calls me up late at night. Yeah, he goes, dude. He goes. uh, I can see you put a little time into it. He read like uh, the coach one or something like that. Uh-huh. He said, but you know, I, I wouldn't recommend, you know, handing that piece in. He, he was against mm-hmm. me trying to use that as a calling card. Right. You know, he, because he kind of try another try or yeah, maybe work on it more. Cause he kind of mm-hmm. knew that, you know, I slapped him together quick and if, believe it or not, even in sitcoms, I guess there's a real nuance to these, sure. you know, these characters, which is hard to believe, but right. No, I can understand that. And, I mean, maybe it's a good a piece of advice of like, hey, you know, this is a good attempt, but uh, maybe you should try again or yeah. rewrite some stuff. It's not lost upon me that you're doing new stuff each yeah. and every time. So I guess my question would be, uh, what's your thoughts on um, what should someone be doing? Should, should you be showing people out there that you've got a couple of newer bits that are working and keep throwing it out there and then do half new? I feel like you definitely have to work on the material that is working so you can strengthen your act. Because I feel like I don't have enough of an act. Yeah, I have bits that I like, bits that I do over and over. But is it a cohesive thing that, you know, can go from one bit to the next bit to this bit mm-hmm. that can, you know, create a cohesive 15 minutes or whatever? Right. I don't know. Right. Probably not. Yeah, well. But I feel like, obviously, yeah, to get to that next level, you have to have that chunk of time that probably doesn't change that much. Right. That right. probably is pretty solid and pretty verbatim of, I say this and this, and I have these tags, and I have this. Yeah. And, and maybe has some wiggle room, but probably not. You know, it's probably this 10 minutes is pretty much 10 minutes everywhere I go. Okay. I feel like I'm not that much of that guy. I feel like I see guys that are that. You know, they harness that key or that aspect of comedy early. Uh-huh. And I see those guys getting on bigger shows, better shows, and, and, and working that, more. Is that the people that are regurgitating the same stuff and yes. showing is that the people getting the, and i'm not saying it's bad no i'm but, saying i should do it more because i'd probably get on more shows i if, see if i did yeah, regurgitate yeah. more of the same and hone right. in on like okay this works i'll say this now every single time i go on stage right right i just think uh instead of oh it works i'll hold it and maybe say it when i want to say it right but i'm always chasing the the new right. premise as well exactly i i i, I think that's how it 
it should be. You know, you you know when you hit some gold, you know, you got yeah. that. You know you could bring it out if you had to do a 10, 15-minute set for somebody, you know, or whatever. But I like to have this couple of newer bits at work, and I'll do them for a while, and then yes. you got to let them go, and you know you have them when you need them. And then yes. you got to get to that next one and then keep throwing new stuff out while you're working on this next little wave mm-hmm. of stuff. And that's kind of how it seems to be for me. Because really, Daryl, I mean, you know, I'm back to uh, to try and get funny, and hopefully other people think I'm funny, you know? Yeah. Because you want your respect of your peers. I mean, you're not out there just... Uh, well, that's the weird thing about what I find or what I struggle with a lot is if there are not a lot of comics that I know there, I'll usually do well because there's not a lot of people that I know there. But yeah, if there's a lot of guys I know there, I'll usually not do as strong. And I don't want to say it's because of them, but it is, I don't know, in a weird way where I struggle being on stage with a lot of uh, contemporaries or with a lot of... Uh, people that I would say are friends off the stage. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's easier to make strangers laugh than my friends laugh right. that are other comics. <laughs> I, I, just, I just think, I just think you're, um, you're just attuned to not repeating yourself in front of other comics. Yes. I think that's really what it is for you. Yeah. But I think it's remarkable that you come but, out there and, and just do this new, but new stuff. That's the thing. It's, it's risky. It's always like, Oh, I don't know if this will work. Maybe won't. <laughs> but I think you're a true performer doing that. Right. I mean, that's really gutsy with no net and going yeah. out there and just doing a new five. Well, that's what I always like about uh, certain mics that are like those storytelling or those bucket mics where you can, you know, grab ideas right. out of the hat. I like, it's almost more of like, because I took improv a few times as well. So I I think it's almost on that same line of that, that improv feeling. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And yeah, a lot of guys definitely, you know, are in two camps of, you know, improv is one thing, comedy is another thing. And I'm like, well, isn't, uh, you know, crowd work kind of improv? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, maybe you have little things that you say, like, okay, anytime when a fat guy uh, heckles me, I got this little gem. Right, right. So maybe that's not necessarily, you know, spontaneous, but it is still this idea of, okay, maybe I don't say it tonight. Maybe I do. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering uh, what, what, what your motivation is and uh, when you do bring out the same stuff that works and all that. What I find to do, too, is that I, I always try to do new stuff that incorporates maybe another premise that I already have. So it's always like I'm trying to build off of a, of a premise that I'm already working with where That's it's good. like, okay, I got this porn idea. So I know this porn chunk that I've already worked out works. Right. So anytime when I get another sliver of like, oh, I you know, now thought of this other side of it. Right. It now gets added to this, uh, this already big chunk of porn right. ideas. <laughs> right. I think that's good to have, you know, uh, so maybe I say it new for this five minutes, yeah. but overall in my head, I'm like, okay, I'll save this for when I have a longer set that I want to talk about this subject for a longer period. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a good plan. Um, I don't know. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it does always just, you know, I find it like where, you know, certain bits work, but, if you only have five minutes, you can't talk about one subject for that whole five minutes. Right, right, right. Even if it's working, you got to still like use your time wisely to kind of like jump around a few ideas. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So uh, what's your favorite mic to do then? Uh, I don't know. It always changes. I like Black Bull uh, lately. Uh, John Johnson, he's been uh, throwing out a good Thursday night mic. Yeah? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it because it's a. It's obviously a. It's in the back area of a bar, but it's kind of secluded where it's like just comedy. Like if you're going in there, uh-huh. you're not being distracted by other shit. Right. Right. Like right. most bar mics. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a real club, and uh, and it has like real audience members too oh, that right. are other comics. Uh-huh. So that's always a plus. Yeah, I, I haven't been out there. I got to get out there. I'm, I'm kinda, mm-hmm. you, you know, we talked about that as well as we uh, try to recycle our yeah. our mics. You know, as best we can. I feel like that's the thing, too, where we're going back to gatekeepers, where there's certain mics that I can't get to because of, obviously, my day job. And it sucks. I'm not trying to complain. Yeah, I should get a better day job. But, uh, unfortunately, I I can't. So, certain mics are just, they're too far and they're too late at night. Yeah. But I've noticed if you, the people that go to those mics, they use that mic as a jumping off point to getting onto better shows to book things and whatnot right so it's like man i wish i could go to that mic because it looks like it you know gets doors opened yeah yeah but i don't go because yeah life has not made it easy no (laughs) another thing that that i i've come to terms with uh you know again i want to be funny and yes i would love to be booked and paid you know that's part of of it it's not really my driving force anymore Mm -hmm. but uh um you know, I think that if you try and monetize your dream, it will make your dream not fun. That's what I've learned. My two stops in comedy were because, uh, you know, I was trying to make a living at it, or I was right. really taking uh, the rejection real personal because, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to become a comic, a full time comic, and, right. and so uh, my thoughts are, you know, if you can make it, you know, getting paid in comedy, you know, that's that's great. But I think you got to have to have a different. You have to have multiple sources of income, I sure, think, for you to sure. really pursue and and, and and have fun with it. That's mm-hmm. that's what I'm finding out. I, I Again, I would love to be booked sometime, but that's not why I'm back doing it, you know? It's definitely a labor of love. Um, you know, obviously, most comics don't talk about uh, doing it for the money <laughs> at any stage, you know? Obviously, yeah, there's certain money in it, but um, I'm not saying... Um, I don't know. I have different goals. I'm not trying to think of like, you know, I want to be the next Chris Rock, but it would be nice to not have to do something I hate. Right, right. In any capacity. You know, I would love to do uh, something in radio again. I would love to do something in production, you know, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. necessarily on stage, but off stage would be great too. Sure. Um, there's plenty of other things that I would love to do that right. aren't nece- that are comedy adjacent. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But just uh, once you 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 try uh, make some money at it, and uh, yeah, sometimes it can really kind turns of turns it into a job. It turns it into a job where it's no longer fun, and uh, uh, that. Well, even the ice cream taste tester has to do paperwork. <laughs> Point taken. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I'm just going to try get good enough, and uh, I try get into festivals. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of mm-hmm. these guys that uh, uh, you know try to get into festivals. Uh, when I when I came back. You know, I had some contacts. I don't know if you know that comedy time, that show up at like, the Ice House. Oh, right. I thought you were talking about eye contacts. <laughs> no, no, no. I had some comedy contacts like that. Uh, what's his name? That book's uh, comedy time. So I came back, and within a year, I got another little comedy time thing, you know, which yes. is a good little yeah, yeah, yeah. video to send out to people. Sweet. But, but you know, I was only a, a year back in. It was kind of kind of rusty and all that. But uh, it got me into a vest- festival, Joshua Tree Festival. I awesome. did that. Yeah, I did it two years in a row. And then... Uh, this July, I had some kid on Craigslist come out there and shoot that one. Yeah. So now I'm trying to use that one to get it. You know, I'm trying to leapfrog and right, keep right, trying right. to do festivals. 
And the reason I'm trying to do festivals is because I, I don't know how comedy works anymore. Mm. You know, I just want to try to be seen by people without trying to, hey, can I come uh, to, 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 you know, the, the laugh stop in Houston for $300? Right. You know, I don't want to do right. that anymore. Right. right. You know, so I'm just trying to put it out there, but you, you got to try have people see you somehow. Those certain comedy festivals are pretty much the Johnny Carson of today's age. You know, if you go to the Just for Laughs out in, you know, Montreal or whatever, right. those are big time you know game changers for a lot of comics it really is and and and, and that's kind of what i'm trying to do because i don't even know what the comedy scene is anymore yeah. you know, at the clubs and all that stuff right i'm sure it's a young man's game it probably is i feel like it's not just a young man's game it's a young woman in person you know it's all the other people that i'm um, sadly to say aren't like us pat the cisgendered white men <laughs> <laughs> plus you gotta i don't want to like i don't know that sounds bitter but yeah i don't know but you gotta have some sort of social media presence now right i mean you gotta have a twitter feed and uh everything you you have to have facebook friends to even get booked now right i mean at a a comedy club they want to yes they they want you to have a following they want you to have you know some sort of draw you know it can't just be uh you being funny you have to have a presence yeah and obviously it, it makes sense it's not like uh you're thinking to yourself what you mean I have to actually have fans before you're going to put me on? <laughs> yeah, so it seems like, uh, I, you know. I just feel like, yeah, back in the 80s maybe when it was like just the boom and they were just hungry for acts, you know, they didn't have this oversaturation of just people just constantly wanting to perform. You could get people to go like, oh, you got 10 minutes? Well, how about you featured for this person? Yeah, right. <laughs> now right. it's like, oh, you got 10 minutes? Get in line. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty fierce uh, competition right now, but uh, which is great. I mean, it does breed more, fun, you know, funnier people, uh-huh. and it definitely makes people try harder. You know, you talk to the the per, the average millennial person that's under thirty, and they definitely you know want to become famous. Sure, six. You know, five out of six people want to become famous. Yeah. <laughs> my 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 th- was it that way. In the fifties, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely. There's definitely a time where I was doing this, trying to trying to get on TV and you know, mm-hmm. become famous or whatever. You, you're it's trying not to even do. just on TV now. It's just yeah, online or just any. You know, you can still become famous and have you know two million YouTube followers. Yeah, that's kind of what what I want to do now is I want to I want to uh, put a little bit of uh, video out there and mm-hmm. leave it out there, and hopefully it's all different material. You know, yeah, that, that, that's really my motivating thing as well. Besides festivals, is just try to get a nice little. Uh, YouTube uh, shots out there. I would like to see that. Yeah, then I look back. Daryl, and all, you know, all I ever really liked doing was comedy. I mean, I would, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would crack a class I was in, and you know, throughout grade school and into high school, I'd get tossed out of classes for yes. being disruptive. You know, I mean, it was. I like to entertain. You were the class clown. I was kind of one of the class clowns. I was one of mm-hmm. these guys that could get along with jocks. I could get along with the tough guys. You know, what about the ladies? I did okay. I did okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all right. But uh, uh, do you remember who? Did you go to like prom? You know, I never went to prom. No. Yeah, isn't that weird? Kind of. It I is mean, weird. It's not probably weird now. I'm sure a lot of kids don't go now, but I didn't go to prom. I feel a... like when I was in high school, it was definitely like, oh, you only the cool people, you know, go to prom. 
I don't know why I didn't go. I don't, I don't know. I was just kind of a contrarian type guy, too. Oh, right. you know, if everybody else was doing it, I wasn't going to do it. Right, exactly. You, you know, I think mm-hmm. that was my mentality. I could see that. But getting back to that, so then I go, go out to Hollywood, and so I'm just like chasing like some sort of fame. You know, number one, I want to get right. in the, I want to get on the evening at the Improv. That was mm-hmm. the thing you wanted to do back then. You yes. know? And so and so I just wanted to get on TV, and so I think I was writing to get like a writing job. But but who wants to just be a writer? I think it was all money motivated. You know, you're just right. looking for money. Well, I, I would assume writing, you know, the writing gigs are always that you know day gig. As a, as a comic, you know, you, and it's that gig that obviously, yeah, pays pretty decent. Right. And it still allows you to do comedy at night. Right, right. And, I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, for a lot of comics, it's pretty alluring because I'll be, it probably opens up other doors, you know. Yeah, and so that's why you do the spec script for the TV shows. Sure. That was your, kind of your calling card to try to get a, a, yeah. a TV writing job. I wrote a, a pilot for a, a, an original idea that I had. And I tried to get it uh, read by a few different people, and it went nowhere. <laughs> but I still like the idea, but I just feel like it's, uh, it, yeah, it just needs to have the right eyeballs, you know, get to it. Yeah, but it was an original work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had an idea for an animation script, and it was like, a, you know, like a sitcom animation. Was it going to be like a 22-page or twenty-two page yeah, kind exactly. of thing? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was Jesus Christ, the high school years. <laughs> and it was all about Jesus Christ, obviously, in high school. That's funny. Because, yeah, you don't see that, that, that gap of when he's, like, between, like, a kid and an adult. Right, right. So, like, you don't know any of that story. That's funny. So I tried to make it, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but not, like, a full-on slap in the face. Like, I didn't want to be insulting, uh-huh. but obviously I wanted to make fun a little. Sure. But then the few people I had read it, I would, you know, had this, you know, summary before it, you know, to kind of just tell them like, hey, this is kind of what it's about, blah, blah, blah. Your treatment? You yeah. kind of had like a little treatment? Exactly. The log line, shit like that. Yeah. And so half of them, they would write back comments like, hey, this would be a good sketch, but I don't know about it being a movie. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's a half hour animation right <laughs> like did you even like read right, the like right. summary come on now and you know i'd be like okay well thanks for the advice but it kind of sounds like you didn't really read it all or well, just like <laughs> that you, you and would, who were these people you got it to um i got it to a person that uh created a tv show for fox and wrote for a bunch of different you know i met him convention or whatever a strip joint <laughs> yes i did mm-hmm. in fact it was a female <laughs> well you know they're they're uh hollywood is he a, was it a hollywood person type? yeah uh or his fox i guess yeah but you know they're notorious for uh but i mean that's the thing like i obviously he did a huge favor for reading it sure but i feel like i wish he just maybe spent a little bit more time on it, I don't sure. mind the, the the harsh criticism. I don't mind him saying like, "Hey, this is maybe more of a sketch than a TV show." But um, certain things like it doesn't discourage me. Obviously, it's not like where I'm like, "Well, fuck this idea, fuck writing, fuck like you know trying to do comedy." It's not like you know you hit one speed bump and you're out. It's yeah. just like, I guess that's just what you know drives you to be funnier and drives you to just try harder. Yeah, one of the other things I did when I was living in Hollywood, I, you know, I took a couple of acting classes, and I, sure. took a, I took a screenwriting class at UCLA. They had some night, like, uh, adult classes yes. up, up at uh, Universal Studios. Right. Right up there where they, you know, there was some classroom they had up there, and I remember the guy's name was Steve Greenberg. And what was his credits? Well, the first thing he does is he goes up to this chalkboard, and with kind of anger, he takes his chalk, and in big giant block letters... 
he starts off the class by writing, nobody in Hollywood knows anything. So he's one of these spit out screenwriters, you know, that's already embittered, you know, and now he's teaching and all that. So he starts off with that. So, so you're not the only one that's had, you know, things rejected or no notes given or all. It's, it's, it's just legendary. And he went on to say uh, that Hollywood is just full of mental illness. Uh, you know, I knew Tom Arnold uh, when he was on writing on the Roseanne show. Sure. That was, uh, you know, as you know, it's 22 pages mostly for a 30-minute sitcom because mm-hmm. of commercials. Mm-hmm. At the height of Roseanne, there were 26 producers on that show getting their comments, their notes on it. 26 people were touching that script, yeah, a 22-page no. script, with all the <laughs> megalomania and all their need to put their... Mm-hmm. fingerprint on it so it's insanity mm-hmm. up there and yeah and management like that is all about uh well you can only tell that i'm doing work if i'm telling you what to do well that's kind of what it is you know they, you know if i say nothing then you don't know that i'm doing my job well there's that and then you have a lot of guys that are just yeah trying to just put their stink on it when you're like clearly you're not a creative person you're a number cruncher go shut the fuck up and sit over and crunch your numbers yeah yeah let the creative people be creative. But then you have obviously new networks in this area that aren't people that are like, Hey, let's try to tell people what to do. We'll just give them some money and say, Hey, you're funny. Go do something. Yeah. Yeah. Make us some money, please. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I don't, I have zero interest in, in, in writing now or anything, right. you know, but I mean, I would think with all these streaming programs and productions that are mm-hmm. just awesome out there. I mean, you know, a lot of that old Hollywood stuff must have fallen by the wayside. You know, the management and having somebody in the audience see you to, to, to you know, make your career. Those days are gone, gone, I think. Well, most of those Hollywood positions, too, are always revolving doors. Yeah. You never see a CEO of a film company for more than 20 years or whatever. Right. You know, they're in there for five years and they move on to something else. Yeah, they're, very, they're mercenaries is what they are. Yeah, and, it's uh, like as soon as you're not making the company, you know, X amount of growth per year, you're out. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, yeah, some new guy shows up, maybe does a few changes, maybe makes a couple of good investments. And but they even even then they're still out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you, you know, so I, I, I do you feel like you would want to do like like sketch or any type of other things like still act? Maybe not you know do your own writing, but be a part of somebody else's. I don't endeavor? think so. I don't think so, Daryl. Here, here's where it's at. You know, I started in '85. I, I I moved out to Hollywood in '91. I, I lived in Hollywood for eight years. Wow. The first four were kind of exciting, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing people and going down to the clubs, you know, like the improv and, yes. and, and seeing all these comics you'd seen on TV and all that. So that was all exciting and you felt like you're in the hunt. And then after about four years, mm-hmm. you know, it started uh, started getting old, you know, that I wasn't getting regular spots or, or, right. or, or moving, or, you know, you know, getting any management and seeing other people, you know, have some success. So the last four years of Hollywood, it was kind of, uh, uh, you know, my interest in comedy kind of waned, and then I moved down to Long Beach uh, just before the year 2000. And shortly thereafter, I took my first break in comedy of about four years, from mm-hmm. about 2003. I still tried to do some road gigs from about 2003 to 2007. I just altogether stopped because mm-hmm. it was no longer fun. I, tr- I had to make some money. Right. And then I kind of came back in 07, and it was still kind of clean and was still trying to... And what did you do for you know work? I, I have a degree. I have a... <sighs> God, I have such a non-linear career path. But anyhow, I got a degree in mass communications, 
and sociology, a double major. Mm -hmm. And I got a minor in business administration and psychology. And when and I this was, was in Wisconsin? No, in, in Minnesota. I went, oh, to, yeah. I went to Mankato State University uh, in Mankato. Now it's called Minnesota State University of Mankato. And by the way, this Adam Thielen, mm -hmm. who plays for the Vikings, I don't know if anybody follows football, but sure. he, he made the Pro Bowl this year. He went as a walk-on from my alma mater. Uh, you, know, you know, he's one of the best wide receivers. Cool. But anyhow, uh, what am I talking about, Daryl? So you were talking about your, your day gigs outside oh, of comedy. So I'm in Minneapolis, and I'm bartending. I had a, I got a bartending That's job. That's a good way to use your double major. Yeah. So I got a bartending job up in Minneapolis, and then and then I had a, a friend of a friend uh, get me a job as an accounts payable specialist mm -hmm. at this uh, uh, healthcare company that that leased out medical equipment. Right. So I learned accounting, you know, just accounts payable. Of course. So then I moved out uh, to California ninety one, and I had a degree, and I had a business minor, and I I went to some of the temp agencies. And just said, hey, yeah, you know, he sent me out as in payables, and then it kind of morphed into where I was an accountant, you know, yes. because, you know, I just faked it. Cool. So I did that for about 20 years. I would temp, and... But uh, you wouldn't have, like, a your MBA or anything? No, I never went and got my MBA, but I would, you know, I would I would just temp, and so, it, you know, I never really wanted a, a real job or any of that stuff. I just wanted to have a temp job. Mm -hmm. Some of them went a week, some went for a couple of years, you know, but they're always flexible. You could get out and go do a road gig and sure, stuff like that. Sure. And I learned more and more and more uh, about business as well. And then I kind of, that's another story. Then I got my own little business going. But uh, uh, so that's how I made my living as a temp yeah. those years. And what what's your business? Oh, I, 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 I sell Mexican <laughs> tile. I thought you were going to say you strip. <laughs> <laughs> I basically, uh, you know, just found some, uh, uh, you're, lines you're, of handcrafted tile from you, Mexico. You just found some tile in Mexico, and you're like, I gotta, I gotta sell this. I gotta flip it. Well, I, I would go into these jobs as a temp. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you know, they'd send you into these little jobs, and you'd start looking around and just see these weird little niche uh, industries that were, yes. you know, like two million dollar companies and stuff. Yeah. So I got thinking, man, I gotta find some sort of widget that's hard to find, and you mm -hmm. know, start my own little one. Yes. So that's kind of where that started. But yeah, I was a temp, and I'd come and go, and. And so I had to kind of make a living here and there. And so I, I came back in 07. Mm -hmm. And then I, I tried to do some more clubs. I ran around the country again, still trying to... And did you come back with the same material? Or did you try to come back with new stuff? Or That's a great question, Daryl. I think I came back with newer stuff. Right. You know, I kind of let go of that other stuff. Yeah. And then I came back and I had this other stuff. But I was really still clean and trying to get TV. And I got to do some cruises. Oh, wow. You yeah. did? Yeah, I did that's about 10 tight. cruises. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that's a long story, too. In, in the mid-90s... Seems like you'd have to have a lot of material for that. Yeah, but, you know, it's like anything, Daryl. When, you, you know, you know, I remember starting off in Minneapolis. Do you got 15 minutes? Yes, I do, you know. And then you, you got five, and then you'd <laughs> right? stretch. So every everywhere I've ever went, you know, you, you just have to yeah. stretch until you get done. Yeah. <laughs> do you have an hour? Sure do. Yes, I do. <laughs> Two separate hours. Yeah, when do I start? Maybe twenty minutes. Yeah, it was. So anyhow, I uh, I got my first cruise was in the mid nineties, and you used to get gigs by the v, you know, by videos, yes, VHS videos. I mean, yes. I had sent. You had to have your tape. Yeah, you sent. I probably sent hundreds of tapes. Just you know, right. now you just do the link to YouTube. You know, have you seen Punchline that movie? Yes, Punchline. Yeah, it's so horrible. But there is that one. Uh, I guess true part of it where they were there's like a scene of them just talking about like you got to get a tape you got to have a tape where's your tape god damn you got to have a tape yeah so i i remember I, I i i you know i was really it's like that now with with this scene it's you got to have a youtube clip you know where's your you know youtube or some sort of clip you know you have to have some sort of video online y you do you do 
yeah. it has to be a good quality, you know, not just some like phone, you know, recording that you're, you know, at some open mic. Okay, exactly. It has to be like a, a real photo or a real camera from like a real club. Yeah. You know, getting back to those uh, scripts, you know, uh, Daryl, they, when I was up in uh, Hollywood back then, you know, I would hear of these script readers and they would say 90 Eight ninety nine percent of scripts would go in the waste paper basket because yes. people didn't even know how to format properly. Yes. So people can tell within the first page your skill set. Of course. And 99% didn't even know how to format it. So they yeah. all went into the hopper. And it's like comedy. Like you said, if you saw a phone video of some guy down an open mic mm-hmm. trying to get into a festival, probably probably isn't going to happen. No. Nope. Even if it was really funny. Even if it was really funny. It's just there's a, um, an amount of professionalism that everybody just needs to have no matter what level you're at. You know, it's just like, hey, the bar's been set here. Mm-hmm. So no matter how funny or cool or whoever you are, you got to be at least here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And so so what I did is I, uh, you know, I had tapes and, and I just badgered this did gal. Did you hire like somebody to film you or did you just have somebody that had I, a huge camera? <laughs> on two occasions, uh, I did have a professional mm-hmm. uh, video vi- videographer, I guess. Yeah, and did that like change your, uh, you know, mindset when it came to the set? Uh, yeah, you played to it a little bit, but I had this guy, I remember I, I did Tucson, uh, Laughs in Tucson in 07, I had this guy come and it was a two camera shot, you know, back mm-hmm. then it was pretty expensive to get a, right. you know, I mean, it was that's two dudes. three to 500 bucks. He brought both cameras, but he'd set up two cameras. So right. you'd have that back and forth kind of a professional right, shot. Of course. So yeah, you were hoping you would do well. You're cognizant that you had somebody there and you spent a lot of money, but, uh, you know, you can piece it together. They would of edit course. it for you and all that. But now you try to get into festivals. They want unedited. They want to mm-hmm. see you from beginning to end and not have it edited, right. you know, to your strengths and right. all that. Don't you know? just put in the jokes that work. Exactly. <laughs> so, so anyhow, I did get this chance. To, I and did that, like, did the tape, you know, help you get on the cruises and all that? It did. I, I, I don't know if they watched them or not, but, uh, you know, I was clean and I did have a kind of a decent tape back in the day. And mm-hmm. I got some gal... It was down in Century City. You know where that is? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's when Princess uh, used to be headquartered, Princess Cruises. Right. Which is now, carnival? they're all under Carnival now. Yeah. Back then they were separate. But Princess mm-hmm. was, was kind of a high-end cruise. And, and I remember I badgered her, not badgered her, but she, she gave me a booking. Mm-hmm. And so I got two bookings with, uh, I got a booking, and they call it a fly-in. And, and they flew me from uh, Los Angeles to Acapulco, and I was going to hop on this. Wow, cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I got on the boat, and I, I had to, uh, you were supposed to have, uh, definitely two thirty-minute different sets. Yes, and I didn't. You know, I mean, I had the time. You know, I mean, I really stretch. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you get an opportunity, you just got to do it. And you do like a lot of crowd work, or yeah. So anyhow, I I, I fly on. I, I get an Acapulco. I get onto this uh, this Princess. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, princess, whatever. But it was. It Come was on, you two- want to leave me? It was a. <laughs> it was a two-week cruise. It started off in. Uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. I joined it in Acapulco. It was a two-week cruise. It was going through the Panama Canal. It was going to end up in Fort Lauderdale. Wow, cool. Yeah, so I, I call, they call it a fly-in. I come on there, and then the comic that's on, a comic can only do maybe two shows a week. Yeah. So that's why you had to have the two different sets. Yes. So I remember I, I got on there. It was like a Sunday, and I, they put me on the, the show that night, and I bombed. <laughs> I just oh, ate it. No. And, and then if you eat it on a ship... Yes, you're done. You're you're dead to them because they don't they won't bring you back for a second show because you've already eaten. Of course, it. yeah. So it was just horrible. Uh, but not only did I bomb, uh, they they went. You know, they they wanted me to get off in. Uh, you know, I I wasn't to go all the way to Fort Lauderdale. Wow. I mean, I, I got to go through the Panama Contra- <laughs> Panama Canal. We went to Cartagena, Colombia, but I was like ostracized. You know, and it was you know people wouldn't want to talk to me. Or, <laughs> 
Oh, it was just horrible. And, and I asked them if I could get off. They, they, they did a port of call in St. Thomas, and I said, you mind if I just get off here and spend a night? And then they made arrangements to fly me out the next What if day. you... You didn't want to like try to do a second show to redeem yourself. They, or? they just they just wouldn't. They wouldn't. You were just done. And when did and you just started bombing from minute one, or? Yeah, I wasn't ready. I was yeah. not ready. It was one mm-hmm. of those deals. And and I will say this, Daryl. It, it, getting back to it, it was a two week cruise, which meant. And I don't mean you know funny's funny. I'll I'll, I'll take uh you know I was not funny on that ship. I'll admit it. But they were older people. Right. Because anybody that can afford a two-week cruise is usually retired yeah, and has the wherewithal yeah, and not money. 28 year Yeah, this isn't no. a carnival guy's no. falling off the, the deal. These are real old people. And so it wasn't a good fit. And so they gave me a second follow-up uh, deal. I don't know how soon after, but they gave me another shot. And this wow. one was out of Vancouver, and it was going to go up to uh, Alaska mm-hmm. and back. And I, I got one show on there, and, and it was all... Asian people. What? You know, a lot of them not even English speaking. Interesting. Yeah, so that was my two... And that worked? That, that... did not work either. Oh. <laughs> so I was all done with Princess. So I got two in there. <laughs> two cruises, two, two horrible Oh, oh and then I did two carnivals kind of in that time too. And were those good? Well, no, they were. I, I did two of those, and I thought I did fine. I, I, I've done ten all together, and then and then. What's the record for the ten? O for ten? Yeah. O, well, no. Let me let me back up. So 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 then, O seven. I come back after four years, and I and I I'm trying to you know go on the road as a feature and stuff like that, and get yeah. on a cruise ship. That was kind of my motivation, and uh, so I did a few, uh, and then and then in t- 2010, I got on Carnival again. This was after I did Carnival in the mid-90s, two of them. And, and two this princes. is all through the same lady? No, no. These are all people have changed. Mm-hmm. But it is like comedy, Daryl. A lot of these people have been, I remember a lot of these gatekeepers, mm-hmm. if they said no, you know, they were there for 10 years, you know. Yes. I mean, so it was a real uh, impediment to your career if somebody had already gave you a thumbs down, man. Right. I mean, it's a long wait to get on another cruise. That's a small industry, you know. But then when somebody new comes in, you're like, hey, I'll hit them up because they don't know that I'm shitty. <laughs> yeah. So so then I got another shot with Carnival in like 2010, and I actually did pretty good. You know, these were like uh, down to Puerto Vallarta, you know, out of Sweet. yeah, out of Long Beach and then Puerto Vallarta and back and all that stuff. And I did well. I, I did two of them. They gave me two more, and then they just kind of fizzled out. Mm-hmm. And then that was my second hiatus. I, that was 2011. I, I hung it up because I, you know, I felt bad. I, I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to make a living out of it back then. You know, I wanted to be a cruise And comic. how much do you think you would make? I was making, you know, Carnival was known as the lowest paying back then, but it was like, a, I think it was 900 a week. Wow. You know, for two shows. Yeah. And it was, you know, 900 wasn't bad. Mm-mm. That sounds like a pretty sweet uh, gig, especially for comedy. And you're obviously getting free food and free food. And, 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 and the deal about cruises is, uh, is probably the toughest job in there because everybody on the cruise dislikes you. Cause a lot of these people mm. uh, that have the lower jobs have to share right. cabins and all that. Right. So they see this flying co- comic and they call it, um, you know, you get captain privileges where you get to eat with the captain's mm-hmm. crew. You don't eat with the employees and right. all that. So you're, right. you're kind of like shunned. a guest almost. And, and, and then you're with the uh, captain's crew and mm-hmm. they're kind of arrogant. So they kind of look down on you. So you're kind of in a weird middle. You're in a weird middle. And then you and then generally, again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the blame on, you know, why they worked or didn't work. But but there were some politics involved. Hmm. The guys uh, generally that were the comedy the entertainment director were yes. usually like a brit or an aussie and they were always comedian wannabes right you know they always wanted to be a comic and they do those 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 cheesy syndicated jokes you know right. you could the, tell it was a joke joke the dad jokes yeah they would just do these hack jokes and mm-hmm. they would look at you it's like those jokes that you would hear on the universal tour 
Yeah, so they inherently disliked you. Mm-hmm. You know, really, I, I felt right. that. So you had to walk this really weird line, and then that's before you even see seven hundred people that it seats, and you better make seven hundred of them laugh, not wow. six hundred ninety nine. So you got to make, you got to walk this line with employees hating you, the captain people hating you, that's the nuts. entertainment director jealous of you, and then you got to entertain seven hundred people, and they have statistics on that, Daryl, mm. that less than one percent of them have ever been to a comedy club in their entire life people are going crazy that sounds right <laughs> so then it so, does seem like a weird like obviously as a comedian i'm like oh yeah that's a perfect place for a comedy but then as a person that's on a cruise i would think like why are we having comedy i mean i guess it's entertainment but yeah it's i don't feel like nobody's going on a cruise like oh boy i hope this uh comedy is going to be awesome on here yeah and, and that was their mindset people would just go to anything because it was all inclusive right. and it was free and right. they go to all the shows and that's great you know that's their but experience now you have certain comedians that are doing you know cruises like doug benson and adam divine like they do whole tours on cruises and it's a whole you know 20 comic festival maybe is that what they're doing now yeah uh i know uh the impractical jokers the people on, uh, you know, True TV. Right, right, right. They had a cruise, and they had, you know, probably, what, 20 other comics that were on the cruise as well, and it was, uh, yeah. Was there hopes of getting the cruise booked with people that like these comics? Was that the draw, or? I would assume so, yeah. They would and they would try to market it as, a, hey, this is a comedy extravaganza cruise mm-hmm, kind of a mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, people were going on the cruise already knowing Everybody on got the lineup it, and everything. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I did that, and then and then that ended in 2011, and then I quit again for four years. You know, wow. and, and then I, uh, you know, then I got really old, and I turned 60, <laughs> and my mom died, kind of, you know, Funny. when I was 59, and it just mm-hmm. like you know that mortality stuff kicked in. It's like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Mm-hmm. So now I'm back, and and yes, everything I do now is all new. I've never done it before, and you know the game. How have you ever thought about pulling out a joke from 85? I've thought about it. I got some. I, I have thought about it, but I, I I don't. Can I hear a few jokes from '85? Yeah, I used to talk about my car. I do stuff like that. You know, that's where I was at. Right. You know, it'd be all clean. I'd say, I'd say, uh, uh, I'm so sick of my car. I key it myself. You know, and then I go. I don't even know what year my car is, but you know, you know those registration tabs you put on your license plate every year. Mine juts out six inches. <laughs> I got the kind of car people hit and walk. You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> right. So right, I remember all right, that stuff, right. you know, and I had a lot of, I did have some family stuff like that. I, I, I go, uh, yeah. you know, my mom, and, <laughs> I had a lot of goofy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't. So, so this, this third time back, Daryl, I, I yeah. like most comics, I'm kind of like starting over again. And then, you know, as, as, as most comics starting out, you usually address the elephant in the room when hmm. you're coming back. So this time I start off talking about my age, you know, you know, because right. it was real hard to. It's really weird to be 60, 61 all of a sudden, you know. I mean, it comes slow, but then you're, yeah. you're here, and then you think, God, I got to, you, know, you know, now I'm up here doing comedy. I got to talk about my age, you know. I feel like it is a, a, a big go-to for a lot of comics, especially starting out. I did it myself. I probably still do it a little bit, where you got to address yourself. You know, yeah. people don't know you. They want to get to know you. How are they going to get to know you? You tell them about yourself yeah, up at the top, you know, self-deprecate probably most of the time. It's exactly it. If you're you're heavy, you'll dress your weight. Yeah. If you got a big nose, you'll dress. You have a big nose. Exactly. And mine was I, my age. I felt like I had to talk about it. You know. Yeah, I have a, a bald bit and yeah, those types of things. You know, my sure. name being weird. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know that is comedy. You know, pain and all that. Sure, so, sure, sure. So yeah, so that's what I'm kind of back and I'm I, you know, and uh, you know just kind of I, having fun. I 
I think, I mean, I'll, I'll blow a little smoke up your ass. Uh, I feel that you're one of the funniest guys I see on the scene. Oh, thanks, Daryl. Especially because you have a different perspective. You know, it is a lot of, you know, younger guys. And I feel like even being at 35, a little past the time that you should start comedy. <laughs> yeah, I was your exact age when and, I felt that pressure to move out to L.A., yeah. you know. And obviously, yeah, it's I didn't obviously have the um, misfortune of being... I don't know what what you would call it. I guess it's fortune or misfortune of just being close to LA already from birth. But even then, but even then, I'm still like I didn't start it until yeah, thirty one, thirty three. And then what what made you start? What was what it was, was a lot of the same feelings. Like uh, I just didn't like uh, a lot of my day jobs. I felt like I wanted to, you know, I felt like I was a pretty funny guy, knew uh, how to be funny in front of people. But I don't know. I just felt like if I didn't do it, I would regret it. There you go. Yeah. If you if, if you have a calling, you should address it and do it and see where it goes. And yeah, I would still think that I'm maybe probably not as far along as I would want to be. There's certain people that I've seen start at the same time as me that have, in my eyes, gone further, you know, been on bigger shows, more things. And that always is the big struggle for me where I see, you know, people that are I always try to compare myself with others. That's my biggest like hurdle. Yeah. I, I always have to feel like I want to just say, hey, don't worry about anybody else. Just worry about your shit. Own. Just do your stuff. You but know? it's human nature not of to, course. to peek around. But Especially you're- with social media the way it is. You see just everybody posting constantly what they're doing in their own lives. And sometimes, yeah, you get jealous. Yeah. Sometimes well, you see those posts and you're like, man. I wish I was posting that. <laughs> yeah, but but here's what I told you. You know, I told you this, Daryl. Uh, you're you're one of those guys that are out there, and there's many others out there that are doing a lot of new stuff every each time. Mm-hmm. But every time I see you, you're always doing something new, and I yeah. just, I think that is so impressive. Well, I feel like in a weird way, it might fall on just you, Pat, because <laughs> sometimes I feel like I love doing new material. I do it obviously, yeah, for a lot of the same reasons where uh, I feel like people do material new material to begin with is that they're tired of doing the old stuff. And I wouldn't even say that my old stuff is considered old stuff. It's just, I don't like saying the same thing in front of the same people. Right. Right. And maybe that's just a radio part of me or a podcasting part of me, Uh but it's just one of those things where I feel like if I say this for the 10th time and you didn't laugh nine times before that, why should I say it the 10th time? Because you're not going to laugh that 10th time. Maybe people will say, oh, well, you just need to rewrite it or you just need to reword it or just say it differently. That's the whole part of you know this comedy thing. I don't know. A lot of times in my eyes, I always feel like, oh, I didn't work twice. I'll just move on to something else. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'll just try to keep finding stuff that does work. Yeah. And how, how do you I, – I, I know we also talked recently that you're kind of doing it twice a week, kind of like I am as well. Just yeah. I like to try to do it at least three times a week. Yeah. I'll try to do, you know, I do podcasting twice a week and then I'll do uh, open mics at least three times a week. So it's at least five times a week that I'm doing something that's extemporaneous. Yeah. Career entertainment oriented. Well, let me ask you this. When you go do your open mic. Yeah. How, how much do you prepare for that new five minutes of stuff I usually see you doing? Um, usually I will have a few things that I'm thinking about throughout the day, you know, up until the mic. There's usually things that, um, you know, I'm just going through in my head and then right before the mic, I'll probably 
watch a few comics before me, see if something else kind of pops in my head that's just, oh, this is a gem. This just happened in the moment. You know, this girl right before me goes on stage and talks about rape for 10 minutes. Now I got to address that for some reason, you know? Sure. And maybe that that's just for that one open mic, you know? Right. It's not like suddenly I now get a two-minute rape bit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, I want to do a bit real quick that it's a new bit. James Lipton, he always uh, did those questions that he stole from that uh, Bernard Peebo, where it was like uh, uh, just 10 random questions that like you know he would ask every guest at the end. So I'm going to steal that because he stole it from Bernard Peebo. I'm going to steal it from him. But I got some 10 questions that I'm going to ask Pat here. And, and you can just answer them however you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're just stupid hypotheticals. But here we go. If you could make up a geometric shape, what would it be called? If I could make up a geometric and have its own name? Yeah, like a rhombus or a triangle. Like oh. a new shape that was now called what? New shape? Wow, that's some heavy, that's some like psychological mm. profiling shit to see if I'm mentally ill. <laughs> I uh, mean, I would assume most shapes already have a name. But I guess there's always new shapes to be made. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I I do have the symmetry. You know, I think we're all a little mm. bit autistic, meaning that I think, you know, I'm one of these people that like symmetry. You know, and if there's no symmetry, it bothers me. You know, so right. I would have to say something circular, or you know, squares don't really do it for me. I'd like something mm-hmm. like, like like a hexagon or mm-hmm. an octagon. How about a uh, a, a pentagon, a tracegon. You oh, know, tracegon. Three, three, three sides. Yeah, tracegon. Right. Instead of triangle, it's a tracegon. Oh, that's right. There's a triangle. <laughs> it would be <laughs> no, a triangle. But I like tracegon better. I like it better. <laughs> you know why I, I say that shit? Because I, hmm. you know, part of those Mexican pavers I have, I have like octagon, hexagon. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. San Felipe, Riviera. You know, all those shapes. Yeah. So I am in that shape world, but that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Okay. Next question. What is your favorite joke that never gets a laugh? I had a joke once that I tried. It was for me, and I'd say, you know, I never watched The Wizard of Oz, the movie, mm-hmm. but I've read the book 232 times. <laughs> <laughs> that never gets a laugh? No, it never got a laugh. <laughs> that doesn't. That, yeah. Oh, I, I could see why. Yeah. And another one I did, did that, uh, uh, that I liked, it went, uh, we're all just one head injury away from being oh, happy or something. Is that part of the joke? Is you yeah. have a head injury? Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I've, there's something about a head injury. I just kept on trying to do something with a head like, injury. Nobody found a head injury like, very funny. walk up with, like, a head injury, and you should be like, you know what's funny about a head injury? People with a head injury <laughs> have like, no worries in the world or something like that, I'd say. <laughs> that, I, uh, okay. I got it. I get it. I can see you why can that see why never got yeah, a laugh. Exactly. <laughs> okay. If hell exists, what would you like to hear Satan say to you? Good job. Welcome. Good job. <laughs> Here's what the rest of your life yeah, is going to be. you're going to know a lot of people here. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of people you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what sexual position will you never try again? In a car. Okay. I'm past that age. You won't do it in a car. No. <laughs> what profession would you like to see abolished? 
uh, leaf blowers, number one, yeah. and uh, valet parking, one, two. It should be just abolished. Both Reg- of them. Just ridiculous. <laughs> Cottage <should've> in- <laughs> contrived. I hate them. Take the leaf blowers and blow all the valets out. Oh, and the leaf blowers blow is the worst oh, by yeah, far. They are fucking horrible. Why anybody would fucking do that is beyond me. Yeah. Okay, next question. What celebrity would you like to be mistaken for? Warren Beatty. Oh, you could kind of go for yeah, it. Yeah, my I younger years, people would say that. And I met yeah. Warren Beatty. Really? You did? Yeah, when I lived in Hollywood, I uh, worked for a, um, you know, I, I, besides temping, to make some extra money, I worked for a uh, catering company. It was called... Oh, right. uh, oh, I can't remember what it was, but I did that for about four... The whole time it's I got called, there. It's called... It's a wrap. It was called uh, uh, Professional staffing or i can't remember oh no but anyhow that's part of not, it was, that's not punny enough no it's not i can't remember what it was called <laughs> and isn't that crazy like, you know five star treatment or something like that but something we, hollywood related but we do all these big events i did a bunch of the oscars you know i did the oh, emmys right. but it was just being mass you just go to these events and you pick right. up plates and then you just clear. pass hors d'oeuvres and stuff yeah that kind of stuff you know dehumanizing. but anyhow i would uh you know i, I approach you're not supposed to approach a lot of them and then of course that's why the first four years in hollywood was cool it was very exciting to see people and then the last four i'd already seen a lot of these people it was mm-hmm. no longer fun you know yeah i right. no longer was <laughs> awestruck and all that yeah shit. pat Beatty. who cares but i did go up and talk to warren Beatty. warren Beatty. yeah I'm sorry. he was a nice guy yeah, what did you talk to him about? I just said, "Hey, Warren, how you doing, man? I'm a big fan." And he said, "Hey, what's your name?" And we hey, shook thanks. hands, and that was it. He was a good guy. I thought he might be kind of mean or something, but he was, mm-hmm. you know. And, and then there were some people that I thought would be great and, and were kind of uh, standoffish. And I didn't go up to a lot of them, but sometimes there were some people I just wanted to say hi to. Steve Martin, I approached Steve Martin. Wow, and he wasn't very friendly. Wow, really? Yeah, they get sick of it, you know. What did he say? Get the fuck out of here? Well, in so many words, you know. He, you know, his look kind of said it all. Excuse me. And you're like, yeah, like that. And he's like, no, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I did all that shit. Uh, I I feel like it's sometimes like you you know like that adage where you know don't meet your heroes. Right, they'll disappoint. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm no longer uh, starstruck. No. No. Who, who would you want to like? You wouldn't get starstruck by anybody. I don't think so. What about the president, Trump? Yeah, you wouldn't be like, "Wow, he came and saw me at an open mic." That's crazy. No, that, that you know, <laughs> you know, Trump, man. I don't know what's up with that guy. I just, I don't know. You know, I, I gotta say this. You know, I kind of watch Celebrity Apprentice. He has something going on for me to watch. Right. I watch Celebrity Apprentice. I like the whole. You fired. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I thought, yeah. that, you know. But him as a politician is just it's it's fucking it's criminal. It's, it's horrible. horrible. It's just the fucking worst. So I, I, I would not have any interest in meeting him, man. Okay. None. That sounds good, though. I understand. Warren, but there was a time I was, yeah. you know, until he, you know. But I, I could see you being Warren Beatty for sure. Like early, like Bonnie and Clyde or like Dick Tracy. Yeah, thanks, Daryl. Yeah, but, for but, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next question. What is your best impression? You know, I do some for my girlfriend, I guess. I'm not a big impression guy, but right. I, you know, I'll, but my impressions will be of people that we know. You know, I'm one of those guys. Okay. Not, not celebrities, it's more. That's fine. Who do, who do you do that is part of your, like, friend circle or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It could be incriminating. I just, I just do people that we know. Well, you don't have to do, tell us their name, but just do a little bit of what they sound like. <laughs> Oh, oh, Patrick! Patrick! Oh, 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 oh Patrick! <laughs> That's somebody that 
Janet and I know. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So your girlfriend's name is Janet. Yeah, you've met her, haven't you? I believe so. A few, yeah. maybe a time or two at Royal. Yeah. Yeah, she seems nice. She's nice. She, you bring up a lot of people there from time to time. It seems like you, you know a lot of people that like to see a lot of open mics. Oh, you know, it's sometimes with Janet's friends. Like, her, her, her son was down there. I think you were there mm-hmm, that day. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, Daryl, you did a great job hey. hosting the Royal that night, too. Yeah, we'll, 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 I like hosting. It's a, it, I, I find it, uh, you know, you know, people saying it might be daunting or, like, you know, just not something they would want to do. Not anybody can do it. I like it. I like being in the moment. I feel like it's one of those where you can really do a lot of crowd work, but also work in material as well. But just keep it moving too, most of the that's time. That's the that's the key is to keep it moving, and then you got to do that time management, you yes. know. And that's really the key, and then to be engaging and and, and, and I don't funny. mind being the person at the top. I don't mind taking the bullet or being the first person that's you know, hey, this is what we're doing. I've we're always, trying to tell jokes. I've always like going first or second, always. And it's low expectations. You know, nobody is feeling. Oh, okay. This person has to murder right now. Right, right. And you're not compared to anybody. Mm-mm. The feature spot, you know, in the traditional comedy club is is the best. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the opener go out and do ten to fifteen, warm the crowd up, and then you just come out and do your best twenty five. You know, yeah. and then you don't have the pressure of closing like the headliner. You right. can just blow the headliner out or do the right. best. It's the best spot by far. And then you're obviously, yeah, doing really well. That leads into the feature, or I mean, into the headliner. And that's where. <laughs> then, then, then everything, you know, then you can, you know, that's when you really eat it when you're the headliner. Have you ever had a headliner say, don't do well, you know, or, hey, stop doing that good because you're kind of showing me up? No, I've never had that because I've always been kind of a monologist. I've never been a high energy guy mm. or a guy that does impressions that they're, you know, right. I just was non threatening, mm. you know. Do you feel like you followed people? Or open for people that were kind of on your same comedy style? Or they would be night and day different? They would usually, uh, you know, I don't know how, you know, I'm sure there was some sort of uh, uh, technique and uh, uh, reason for, you know, they booked you back in the day as an opener and stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. sure they figured out the chemistry of the the show. So probably I was more contrasting than anybody then, you know, because I was just kind of a monologist and, all right, let's move on to another another question. Can you make a fart noise? <laughs> that was a good one. Okay, if you were to create a podcast, what would it be called? We we're just talking Pat's about this? Cast. Pat's Cast. I like that. Pat Cast. Pat Cast. Yeah. What would what would be the premise? Just right off the bat. Oh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting people. It's gonna be people <laughs> from all walks of life. It's not gonna be just comics. It's gonna be some real characters. Just, just going to interview people that you just like. Yeah, maybe a street person one day, yeah. and maybe a, a professor the next day. You know, just that anybody cool. that really kind of piques my interest. Right, that just have interesting stories and are cool people. Is that not one of the reasons you do podcasts, Daryl, that I, you can really choose the person to... Yeah, I do like to find guests that I want to get to know more. Yeah. Obviously, this does revolve around comedy, so I'm kind of always trying to do it with other comedians. But even then, it's still like, okay, for the most part... Yeah, we know each other from open mics, but we haven't really sat down and like gotten to know one another. Right. You know, right. I for the most part, like this podcast definitely gets me to know quite a bit of people. Yeah, yeah I think it's a great thing. And I mean, yeah, it forces you to talk, get your opinions out, get ideas out, and yeah, you get to find other people's ideas, and it's it's very cool. Yeah, I, I, I so. enjoyed a lot. Yeah. Okay, last question: 
When was the last time you kissed somebody? Oh, it was uh, today. I kissed Janet goodbye. Nice. Yeah. And how, how, I mean, we don't have to get too detailed, but uh, is she a good kisser? You know, it's kind of that, you know, nine years uh, in Oh, so you're not making out anymore. Nah, it's no tongue or Mm -hmm. any of that stuff. You know, it's just a... When was the last time there was some tongue? Oh, God. Maybe you should give her some, some tongue tonight. (laughs) <laughs> she's working now. She works oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, not when she's working. No, you know, no, Wait no. till she gets off work. Okay, then, okay. And then... She's going to get some tongue this week. <laughs> some tongue major. Mm-hmm. I recently uh, was making out with a lady. Uh, I don't want to humble brag, but uh, I enjoy it. I miss it. That's the thing. Like what you said, where where you get to a certain time in a relationship and you stop making out. You stop getting into those... Those big passionate kisses for some reason. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a very nice, you know, she's a nice person. You, no, <laughs> I'm not you, trying to say, hey, what the hell? No, but <laughs> or bring up really some, nice like, is, like, some like we hold hands and stuff, and nice, you know, nine yeah. years in that kind of stuff. She's a very nice, uh, you know, you, you know, you got to find some gal sometime in your life, or it, it would behoove you that you can connect with after the. What makes you think? Like, what do you guys connect with the most? Well, we have the same core philosophies on many things. She gives me different perspective on a lot of things, but mm-hmm. we're very similar politically, mm-hmm. spiritually. That's a plus. And uh, politically. Yeah, Did I yeah. say that already? Yes, that's twice. <laughs> and uh, spiritually, and politically, and spiritually, and, and politically. <laughs> yeah. Did I say that Did she I hates say Trump? Trump? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, but I, I understand that. Like, yeah, my I remember my uh, dad... Married my um your mom not my mom my uh, second stepmom he's Your been married three times oh my god so it was his second wife who's a nice lady I liked her a lot and uh, they were different way politically like isn't that he, crazy yeah and I I never understood it how like you know she voted for Clinton and he was a big Bush supporter and you're like how do you do that well they came up in this Trump you guys deal, just. Canceled each other out. <laughs> well, I think that's a perfect example. I don't want to judge uh, your stepmom and all that, but I think no, that's you a can perfect. Judge her. I think that's a perfect example of people settling. I mean, mm. we all settle when you're with somebody, but that's right. serious settling when you got somebody that has uh, well, polarizing I like political the, views. Yeah, I, I mean, like, how could that even be? I like the real expression where it's settling down. You're going down. <laughs> I want to settle up where you're like, oh, I can't. Like, I found somebody that's like. They're settling down. I'm settling up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or they're settling at least laterally. But still there's that word settling. Yeah, settling is always like a... Uh, you know, when you're with a woman, Daryl, you're saying no to every other woman. Mm, so that's that's settling. Yep. I am definitely... Yeah. But right now, uh, the world is my oyster. There you go. <laughs> Not saying uh, I'm making out with a lot of oysters. You should bang but... as many oysters as you can. <laughs> yep. I probably could get a lot luckier with uh, actual oysters. <laughs> but no, nah, I feel like uh, my love life is like hit and miss sometimes where it is like, you know, those times where, you know, you really do those college tries of like, oh, I'm going to get back in the game. I'm going to like try to like be more progressive and proactive and hit up women that I wouldn't normally well, you're hit at up. that odd age, Daryl, 35, yeah. where people might think you're a narc, narcotic <laughs> agent or somebody's dad. You know, definitely, you're, you're, you're definitely. kind of, you still got, you know, you still got a foot in the young <laughs> people and then you got you? a foot with the, the old hide people. It's a terrible age. I, I hang out with certain younger comics and I definitely feel that way where I'm like, I feel like I should be buying you guys beer. 
and then walking away. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, go have fun, kids. <laughs> yeah, be 60, 60. Why go on these open mics, man? It's so I know, weird. yeah. How does that feel, being, well, like, that, literally like, the oldest guy there? Well, I think that's why I did a lot of uh, older material when I mm-hmm. first came back. I was always harping on my age. I probably still will always to some degree. No, everybody's been nice. People like you, Daryl, and all these uh, all these people have been very nice to me and uh, receptive. And uh, you know, I think they've. Uh, well, I mean, it does help that you do are, you are funny, obviously. Well, that's nice of you to say. I mean, I hope I am. That's my that's <laughs> yeah. my goal. Is uh, you know, I hope I don't embarrass myself. You know, I definitely want to be funny, and it's fun to be. You know, bottom line is, uh, Daryl, uh, comics are my tribe. Yeah, I learned that they're my tribe. You can, you can, you know, you can say, oh, they're maligned and. Uh, you know, twisted and all that, but really, they're 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 my tribe. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I've come to re- realize that and accept it. You know, I think they're nice people. And that's my tribe, and I really get a, a great deal of joy of uh, running into you and guys like yourself out there. Well, I think that's a that's a wrap. It's a wrap. This yeah. is our fourteenth hour. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Good job, Daryl. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was gonna say this was your first podcast. Uh, first podcast. You, nobody has ever known that you have never done a podcast. I would assume. Yeah. Until just now. Now they know. And so thank you for having me. I mean, you know, that, see that they weren't around when I was doing. But I think podcasts yeah. are cool. You should definitely come on more. Maybe we'll have you with another guest. I like to have uh, two guests from time to time. That's cool. You usually like you know bring back guys that have been on it already. Yeah. You know, try to have it like be more of a round table. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, do you want to throw out the social media, or do you even know what social media is? Or? I do. I do. I do know. <laughs> I, I you know I got you know I'm on Facebook. You right. Know, just okay. my name. Is, I'm on there, and uh, you know I do have a website that I don't really keep it updated, but it's called Patrick the Comedian. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you can go on YouTube. I, I have a bunch of videos on YouTube. Nice. Okay. So just just put my name in the search, and uh, you know I'm out there. Got it. Yeah. All right. No guys. Twitter or none of that shit. Nah, none of that. Fuck that. All right, guys. Well, follow me. Obviously, yes, on Twitter at the D Stories. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> or you can follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook at This Comics Life, or just write me an email at This Comics Life Pod at gmail.com. Or just, yeah, follow wherever you get podcasts and rate and subscribe. Just just help me out, guys. The more reviews, the better. All right. So until next time, guys, this has been... Hey!